Our scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord heard of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will, be, will become stronger in him, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband. You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. And what you have just said is quite true. Sir, I can see you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I who speak to you am he. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Have you ever had a conversation with a stranger that went surprisingly easy? Perhaps it was somebody of the opposite sex, maybe somebody of a different ethnicity, maybe somebody from a different nationality, but you wondered if you would be able to connect with this person and you found quickly in the conversation that you had more in common than maybe you realized and that the conversation actually went rather easily. Hey Beth, I'm going to ask you to step back and just... Check on Jerry there. That happened for me recently. 
uh, Beth and I, the boys, uh, got to go to Disneyland, as you know, for fall break. And Disneyland is an environment where you're connecting with lots of different kinds of people in tight spaces. And you often can find yourself waiting in line for an hour at a time with people you've never met before. Josh and I were in line at uh, the uh, at California Adventure Park. We were on the ride called Grizzly Run. And this is one of those ones where there's like a circle with a, that is a big inner tube and about six people in it. And depending on where you are at any one time when a waterfall comes up or something like that, you are going to get soaked. Well, the line was fairly long for this ride. It took us probably an hour to get on it. Beth and Levi were smart enough to say, we are not doing that ride. I don't want to get wet in the middle of the day and be soaked the rest of the day. So they sat this one out. Meanwhile, Josh and I were in line and ended up interacting most of the time with two African-American ladies who were from Detroit. They were asking us questions about who we are, asked me about what I did. They were asking me about whether I knew Jesus or not which is great. I love as a pastor when somebody tries to evangelize me, and uh, we all need evangelists, you know, to be evangelized, so this is good. But what I found in this hour conversation was a sense of connectedness with people, not just because they knew the Lord, but because, you know, they were asking questions and just, you know, interacting. We're in a fun mood, and we're trying to pass the time together at Disneyland, and in the midst of that ride over that hour-long experience, we got to know them. So then it was really fun when you're on this inner tube and you're going down and you're going under like a waterfall and it spins just right and the other person is going to get soaked. And you get to laugh at them as they're getting wet. But then, of course, it all comes around. And the last big drop that Josh and I, with our backs to it, and this big just waterfall thing, wave of water just splashed over us. And we knew that the whole rest of the day we were going to walk around soaking wet. My point in that converse, about that story is that we get into these kinds of conversations with people. And there are times when those conversations, hopefully, can be led a spiritual direction. And often, quite naturally, in fact, if we can get over our initial barriers and concerns, worries, fears. What we find for Jesus is he was often in these kinds of conversations. And we see another one of these conversations in the passage we just read. The contrast with his conversation partner from chapter 3 to the conversation partner with chapter 4 could not be greater. Remember last week, Jesus gets in a conversation with a man named Nicodemus, who was a Jewish male, a highly learned teacher, a Pharisee of scrupulous character and his adherence to the tenets of the law and a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. So he was a member, a person of considerable public repute and authority. Jesus' new conversation member in chapter 4 of John, by contrast, is a Samaritan woman with a lifestyle that left her publicly despised and ostracized. What's the common component? They both needed Jesus. And what we find here is that Jesus is strikingly at home in each of these dialogues with each of these people and is able to present good, the good news of salvation meaningfully and attractively to each of them. There are some echoes and common threads between the two stories from chapter 3 and chapter 4. 
Here again, water is again used to symbolize spiritual blessing. And more generally, Jesus appears once more as the fulfiller of Old Testament promises. Though the fulfillment of those promises sort of through the religious order of the Pharisees that Nicodemus was a part of, totally out of whack. And here, in his interaction with this Samaritan woman, he overcame just tremendous social, cultural barriers in order to draw her to him. You know, what this unearths for us is a challenge. We don't talk to some people about Jesus out of fear, perhaps, or because we think they simply don't want to listen People in Jesus' day had the same fears and prejudices. Jesus, however, broke through any barrier if it meant bringing a person to faith. And if that is true for the woman at the well, then it is true today. Jesus wants to break through the barriers, the impediments between people and receiving him and the good news and the, the water, the eternal life that he has to give. And what we can see in the overarching narrative of this story is that from the woman of the well's perspective, she could say at the end, as a result of this interaction, it wasn't the water that he came for. It was me. Jesus came for her. He came because he wanted a personal relationship with her. He wanted her to see him as the source and of all that she had been longing for and all that she had been looking for in many different ways and spaces. You see, Jesus doesn't come to you know, draw you in or something and want something from you as much as he comes for you. He wants relationship with you. He wants to be with you. Just as much as like, and even more, than I enjoyed getting to be with Beth and the boys and experience Disneyland together a few weeks ago, God just wants to be with us. And he sends Jesus to be with us in presence. And what this shows us and the core truth of this message is that every person can have their spiritual thirst quenched by Jesus if we discover that he is the Messiah, if we discover that he is truly the Savior that he claims to be. But that means overcoming barriers. That means letting go of other sources of salvation that we might turn to, that ultimately we might drink from, but we find in the end they don't truly satisfy. The adventure in this passage is that Jesus meets a woman who is spiritually thirsty. We find in the, in the passage it says he had to go through Samaria, that he meets her at this well, and that he asks her for a drink. Let's unpack those things for a few moments. What does it mean that Jesus had to go through Samaria? Well, the interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus we looked at last week took place in Jerusalem. And for Jesus to go back to Galilee, the quickest way would be to go through Samaria. But as you may know, often because of tensions between Jews and Samaritans, Jewish people would take a circuitous route around Samaria often to get back to Galilee and wouldn't want to connect with Samaritans. There was hostilities based on ethnic differences. Samaritans were seen as half-Jews and, and were almost seen as worse than Gentiles because of the way they seemed to worship God in different ways. For Jesus to have to go through Samaria, though, here, is not a point of geography. It's a point of purpose and mission. 
Jesus had to go through Samaria because he had a divine appointment with this woman at the well. And he had a divine appointment with the people of her town who could be reached through her. You see, later, uh, when Jesus and the disciples are uh, in Galilee, they actually take the other route through Jericho and come back to Jerusalem that way. They go around Samaria. But this time, they go right through it. Jesus had to go through Samaria because he had a woman there that he wanted to connect with, that he wanted to share with, and that he wanted to show his disciples that those prejudices and differences between Jews and Samaritans should be overcome, and that Samaritans too, just like Jews, needed Jesus to know that he is truly the Savior of the world, not just for the Jews, but for all people. Jesus had to pass through Samaria because he wanted to encounter this woman. He wanted to show her that he was the gift of God and that he had eternal life to offer and that she had been seeking life in other sources and other fountains, so to speak. But he had the water and the fountain that would well up to eternal life, that he was the Messiah, the Savior that she was looking for. And that if she worshipped him in spirit and in truth, not about location or space, but in who he is, she could find her needs met in a way that she never had before. This time, Jesus had to go through Samaria. And he found himself alone by Jacob's well, which is still there, when along came a woman. There's at least three barriers here in this interaction that had to be overcome. The barrier between a man and a woman, a barrier between a Jew and a Samaritan, and a barrier between a holy person, a rabbi, and a woman of ill repute. But notice that even in the midst of who she is, in a different, as a woman, as a Samaritan, and in her past, which Jesus knew about, Jesus presses forward. While no respectable Jewish man would talk to a woman under such circumstances in the midst of those differences and in a public place, Jesus did. And what this shows us is that good news is for everyone. That it's not about social position or past sins. It's about sharing the good news of Jesus. That we each can be forgiven. That as I said last week, we can make a new start. And that we can all have a second chance through Jesus and his forgiveness. There's two other facts I just want to share that are unusual about this woman's actions. The first is that she could have gone to a closer well. Archaeologists have actually uncovered three other wells that were closer to Sychar than this well. This is like the woman who goes down to shop at Walmart down the hill because she doesn't want to go to a local market and interact with people who may know her story. Or a man of a similar situation who doesn't want to go to the local store and see the small town local people that know his past and instead would go down the hill to shop at Costco. The woman goes farther than she needs to to get this water because she doesn't want to encounter anybody she knows. Similarly, as we have many of us know, women generally draw water later in the day. It's kind of the end of the day activity when the temperatures are cooler. This woman comes at noon so that hopefully she doesn't encounter anybody. She didn't want to encounter the other women in the town. They may look down upon her because of her uh, sexual past and history and relationships. She seeks to be alone. But in her loneliness... 
she finds a man who knows everything about her and yet loves her and cares about her. Undoubtedly, the woman was surprised to find a man sitting by the well. And Jesus' initial approach was simply a request for water, which would presuppose a favorable response. I mean, one would hardly refuse a drink of cold water to a thirsty traveler in the heat of the day. But as I have said, the, the request had a surprising element. For a Jewish rabbi would have not volunteered or initiated a public conversation with a woman, nor would he have asked for a drink from a Samaritan's cup as is replied by her answer. But still Jesus pressed forward and said, will you give me a drink? Again, this statement reveals Jesus' true humanity. He was really hungry, and I love these passages where Jesus recognizes that he's hungry or thirsty. We see that he was truly fully human. And since Jesus did not have a container, he did have a legitimate need, and he asked the woman for a drink, even though this request startled her. But what it did was draw her into a conversation. We might summarize her response as simply, What? You, a Jewish man, is asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? John's Gospel even has a parenthetical note. Jews, you see, do not have dealings with Samaritans. Like this is a stated fact. But Jesus overcame that fact because of the graciousness of his love. What he shows us and models here is that we must be prepared to share this gospel at any time and in any place. We must be prepared to deal with those who may be accustomed to being ill-treated, who have been hurt by the church, or who have differences of opinion or perspective or lifestyle, who may not be sure of our motives. Jesus crossed all those barriers to share the gospel, and we who follow him must do no less, even if at times we are misunderstood. We need to consciously think of our, the question of who are those Samaritans in our world? Who are the people with whom religious people, churched people, don't usually have anything to do with? And how could we treat those individuals in a way that could help them see the love of Jesus for them? Where are those spaces and places where we can meet people on their turf and enter into personal conversation? On Friday, it was a little bit of a stretch. We uh, had the league finals for cross country. We were leaving in the middle of the day. It also happened to be club rush at Nevada Union High School and an opportunity for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes group that we've helped to start to interact with students and invite them to participate in the club. So Josh and I were helping the tab- get the table set up. Morgan was at the table with a number of our students. And I soon had somebody from the table next door come and ask me, who, who are we? What is FCA? What's that all about? Well, we're a fellowship of Christian athletes, people that are, are into sports and athletics, but also are trying to see how, what following Jesus means for being an athlete. And she said, oh, well, my club, you know, is an inclusive club for all those wrestling with their sexuality and trying to understand, uh, you know, that and to embrace one another and care for one another. And I just simply said, I'm glad our table is next to yours today. And there were a variety of interactions that occurred before we then got in the bus and and left for the trip. We don't know who God's going to put us next to in the line of Disneyland. We're on a table at a high school campus, at the supermarket, wherever it may be. 
But each of those can become spaces and places where interaction can occur. And the best kind of interaction often is built upon our showing uh, interest in people, common interest, but also, uh, extraordinarily, placing ourselves in a place of sort of dependency and need upon them, that we show that we recognize they have something to offer us. Notice how Jesus humbly puts himself in the place of need with the Samaritan woman. He needs a drink. Can it, would you give me a drink? Would you draw water for me? We don't necessarily like to do that, do we? We don't want to put ourselves in that place of need and dependency upon neighbors and friends. It makes us feel weak at times. But often in that place of weakness where we recognize our own need physically or whatever it might be, there becomes an openness relationally. If you track this similar principle, when Jesus sends out the disciples two by two in Luke 10, he tells them not to take a staff or money bag, extra clothes, extra food, or whatever, to go and to find a place of peace and people of peace and to stay there while they're there. And he says, eat whatever is put in front of you and you know, stay in that town, receive their hospitality. And Jesus is basically saying when we open ourselves to the gifts of other people, we then often have an inner relationship that develops where we can share the gift of life that we know in Jesus and which he has to give. As Americans, that's a foreign concept. But I remember apartment living at different times where we recognized when we were at seminary that we were out of milk or something and we knocked on the door next door and they had milk to offer that completed our meal or whatever it might be, where there was a network of interdependency in that environment that created an environment for relationships to be nurtured and encouraged. And Jesus does the same with this woman. As the adventure of this interaction continues, Jesus offers to give her living water, which equates to eternal life. We're told that he says, if you were to ask me, I could give you the, the gift of God. And he talks about living water and eternal life. The gift of God that Jesus is referring to literally is the grace of God, his ability to give life, and that gift ultimately is him, right? Jesus is the gift of God who has come to give the life of God. And so Jesus has the ability to give a different kind of water and a different kind of life than she has ever tasted before. Living water in contrast to stagnant water. And the phrase that Jesus says when he says, and if you had asked me, I could give you living water, that phrase living water just literally means like running water, a stream that's moving forward versus stagnant water. So he's contrasting The water of the well in Jacob, which could be equated to, you know, the Old Testament and principles and a law-based life, to running water and a stream that flows and invigorates and feeds what's around it. Well, not just in a literal sense. Jesus is offering a different kind of water in a spiritual sense. But it's refreshing water. It's not stagnant, stale water. It's water that truly quenches thirst spiritually and that is water that equates to eternal life as i referred to in the call to worship there's many times like in psalm 42 or isaiah 55 or jeremiah 2:13 where water is is given as a reference to the life that god wants to give but that our tendency is to seek other sources other wells other cisterns other ways of trying to satisfy our longings 
But in each one of those cases, we find a brokenness that results when we're looking for satisfaction from other sources than the God who created us and loved us and designed us, and so he knows what will truly fill us. The living water that Jesus offers and holds out was a particularly vivid image in in an arid country like Palestine. I mean, they're in a a desert-type environment, and Jesus offers a fountain of living water, a, a stream that will never run out. The woman, in response, thinks that he's just simply talking about a better kind of water, and then it might save her a trip to the well each day. Hey, great, if I don't have to come all the way to this well, sure I want this water. In response, Jesus says, the water I have to give will become in them a spring of water, a gushing up to eternal life. The gift that Jesus has to give is is rushing, overwhelming water. Probably the best uh, image experience uh, I have of this recently uh, was getting to go to Mammoth uh, with the cross-country team in August. We're at camp, and, and we just encountered this amazing waterfall. And Josh and I got in the rocks right, right near where it came down, and it's, you know, it's kind of, it's hitting, and it's, and it's just kind of splashing onto you, or at least the, the water's kind of coming up and, and catching you, getting you wet, and you're just kind of soaking yourself in this. But just the, the overwhelming power of the water coming down. If you've ever seen a waterfall like that, it's that, it's that overpowering water. And that's the kind of water, spiritually, that Jesus wants to give. He wants us to, be, to have this water that wells up to eternal life. And it's not just life in the future, it's life in the here and now. And this woman says, give me this kind of water so that I don't have to thirst and I don't have to come to this well. But Jesus is offering water from a deeper well, a well that ultimately only he can give, a good news that transcends our immediate needs and speaks to our ultimate need for salvation and new life in him. Jesus is saying, I have a life, a quality of life that you could only dream of. And in the midst of all your disappointments, relationally, in the midst of all her divorces, Having had five husbands before, Jesus is saying, I can meet those deeper needs you're seeking to fill. And in the ways that the woman had looked for love in all the wrong places over the course of her life, Jesus is saying, look to me, and I can satisfy those deepest needs. The adventure of the conversation that Jesus has with the woman ultimately leads to the reality that he alone can quench her spiritual thirst. It goes to issues related to intimacy and identity, to spiritual and truthful worship, to salvation as the Messiah. And what this is about is our need for cleansing and our need to be forgiven, our need to be set free from our sins. I heard the story recently of uh, a man who um, N.T. Wright spoke about, and he says this friend of his had described the reaction when he went home as a college student and announced to his mother that he had become a Christian. Alarmed, she thought he'd joined some kind of cult. They've brainwashed you, the mother said. He was ready with the right answer. If you'd seen what was in my brain, he replied, you'd realize that it needed washing. Of course, he hadn't been brainwashed. He had actually found and experienced the the fountain of life, the new life that Jesus had to give. 
and his outer life and inner life were coming into one. And he was experiencing life as intended. Friends, our culture around us brainwashes us through social media, fake news, whatever it might be, political division, conflict. We can easily become confused. But Jesus wants to offer a sense of identity and intimacy that only he can give. Our identity as sons and daughters of the living God who no longer seek to satisfy our thirst through stale or stagnant water, but receive the water that he has to give that can invigorate us and can infuse us with new life. He wants us to give us that sense of identity. I remember when myself, when I was 17 and had been in a series of relationships with girls and they had gone south and broken up and I didn't have a sense of identity in who I was until I came before God and just said, my life is not the way I want it to be. It's not going the direction I want it to be. I want you to come in and, and fill me and complete me and, and, and change my life in such a way that you would make me new because I knew that's what I needed. But friends, that's what we each need. Jesus knows. He knows our story. Just like he knew the Samaritan woman and her painful, sinful past. Jesus knows her, knows everything about her. And yet he loves her and he invites her and he cares for her. I believe the only reason he had that pinprick of, hey, I, I, you're right, the man you're now with is not your husband, and you've had five husbands. I believe the only reason Jesus would sort of prick her at that point was not just to cause her pain, but help her realize that the pain that she did have could be healed through him, and that she could be forgiven, and that she could experience new life. And when we find that new life in Jesus, it opens doors. It opens doors relationally, and the invitation then becomes to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth, to not just go through the motions as religious people going through rituals on a Sunday morning, but to open ourselves up to the living God who wants to pour out his love upon us and to worship him. If he is spirit, if God is spirit, then we are to worship in spirit and in truth. Worshiping him for who he truly is because it's in understanding and receiving who he truly is that we find who we truly are. He is the missing piece of the puzzle that we've been longing for. And when we're looking for a savior, and I believe everybody's looking for a savior, just looking through different sources or different means of salvation, and like the woman who says, well, one day the Messiah, the Savior, will come and we'll wait till then. He'll make it all clear. Jesus is saying, I am he. That's me. And he was saying to the woman that day, it's me and I'm here. And friends, I also believe Jesus is here today. It is he who can change our hearts and our lives, transform us and make all things new. And it's he who, if we come clean before him and all the ways that we've sought life and salvation outside of him and let those things go, we can be open to receive the life that he alone has to give. Notice what happens with the woman at the end of the interaction. She leaves the jar behind as she goes and tells the townspeople about Jesus and the one she's met. 
and her wondering question, could this be the Messiah? Figuratively, perhaps, her leaving her jar behind was leaving her old life behind. Her life had now been new, and she went from somebody who hid from others and didn't want to interact with others and went to the well at a time when she thought no one else would be there to one who was announcing to others, we've found him. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever knew. Could this be the Messiah? And he not only could be the Messiah, he was. And not only did she find that truth, but many throughout the town found that truth because of her witness and because of their own experience of him. Friends, we want every person, not only in our church, but in our community, to find the, the one who has been looking for us more than we have been looking for him, who loves us more than we can possibly ask or imagine, who wants to fill us with new life again. This morning, we're going to have an opportunity to just uh, respond to that invitation. And for you, it may just be responding to that invitation where you are, spending time prayerfully with God, inviting him to fill you, inviting him to be your source of life and salvation again. But if you so choose, we'd invite you to two other ways of respond. We have the cross up today, and as we did at our evening worship service last month, we would invite you to just come before the cross. Come and touch the cross if you need that point of identification. Come and kneel before the cross as an opportunity of accepting this invitation and acknowledging that you need to come clean and receive him again. The other way you can respond is Pastor Greg and I will be on this side uh, of, of the front and we'd be happy to pray with and for you if you'd like one of your pastors to pray for you today. But we want you to know that this gift of life is available. I'm going to invite Bo and Jonathan to come up. And they're going to be playing the song as the deer. Just to make the connection for you. It's from Psalm 42. And it's about a deer. Longing for streams of water. Just like we long for God. So as the music is played. I invite you to allow the Holy Spirit of God to touch you. To come forward. And spend time with Jesus up front. Before the cross if you feel led. Or for where you are. Or to come forward and receive prayer if you feel called to. Lord God, we thank you that you are uh, the giver of life. You are the gift of God, Jesus. And you have living water to give. You have the eternal life to give. We're reminded of last week's key verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We thank you, Jesus, that you have everlasting life to give. We pray that we would receive it this day new and afresh, perhaps even for the first time, if we've never done so. Lord God, we say thank you. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, and thank you that you can come in and make all things new again. We praise you. We thank you that you are present with us today in this space and place. We pray that your spirit will be moving among us in this time. In Jesus' name. Amen.